Hello, humans, hello, humans, hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950 in scenic Eden Prairie, Minnesota. How are you on this Saturday? Good to see you. Good to be here. And my, how the world has gotten better since you last heard my voice. We'll talk about that in a second. We have a really great show here. The big interview is about efforts in Hastings to document the history of the town's only black church, um, which uh, white colored people burned down um, in the early 1900s. Um, and in my C block, you know, I'm going to uh, talk to you about an experience I had this week with some LGBTQ youth. But let us begin with, um, with history. But the history that you and I are living through right this moment. Um, that for my younger listeners, the history that you'll be talking about to your grandchildren, saying, I lived through that. I am speaking, of course, about the Derek Chauvin trial and the historic verdict guilty on three counts, manslaughter, third-degree murder, and second-degree murder, that the jury arrived at late on Tuesday afternoon. That verdict capped 11 months of upheaval that Minneapolis and the world have experienced since George Floyd's very public murder. And let's be so very clear about this. We would not be here there would not be a nation talking about fundamental policing reform as, or about earnestly deconstructing structural racism. We would not be here having those conversations but for one person. That person was a then 17-year-old young woman named Darnella Frazier. After all, the official Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis Police Department public statement following George Floyd's death was that he had suffered a quote-unquote medical emergency as he was taken into custody, and that then, unfortunately, he later died. That was it. That was the content, the extent of the police department statement. Without Darnella Frazier, and you're like, who is Darnella? Well, here you go. Without Darnella Frazier standing on the sidewalk holding her phone up to record for nine minutes and 26 seconds, we would never know the truth about what happened outside Cup Foods on May 25, 2020. We would never know the unmistakable truth of how George Floyd was murdered by a police officer. I ordinarily begin this show by highlighting idealists who have intentionally set out to change the world. But on May 25, 2020, Darnella Frazier <laughs> became a de facto idealist. Whether she had set out to do it or not, she, in that not with that nine minutes and 26 second video, which she took and then went home and posted on Facebook, without that video, Okay, we would never know. And with that video, whether she set out to change the world or not, she did it. 
She changed the country. She changed the world. She changed the trajectory of humankind as we know it right now. And ordinarily at this point, I'd be sharing all kinds of details about Darnella as our featured idealist. However, largely due to her age, there isn't much. For example, there's no Wikipedia page on Darnella Frazier. What I have been able to glean is that Darnella was born and raised in St. Paul. She had played, you know, she's a high school student. She still is. She's a senior in high school. She had played, she was a junior in May of 2020. She played volleyball and basketball in high school. And when she was 16 years old, she got a job in a pretzel shop and was later promoted to manager. So this is a kid that, you know, that kid's not the right word for you to be using, Ellie. This is a young human who's responsible, you know, who, you know, you don't become promoted to be a manager of a business um, without having some skill sets that maybe, well, that are clearly beyond your age. Um, and on the day of the murder, on May 25, 2020, Darnella, um, then 17 years old, then a junior in high school, all she was doing is she had taken her nine-year-old cousin, walked up to Cup Foods for some snacks. And when they, before they got into Cup Foods, they came upon the scene of George Floyd being arrested. And it was at that point that Darnella took out her phone and began recording. And we can hear her and others on the tape telling Chauvin and the other officers, but directly to Chauvin to get off George Floyd. We can hear her saying that. <coughs> Excuse me. But I want to stop here. And I want all of us to think about the intentionality involved. Darnella, remember, 17 years old, had to be scared to death. Think of what she was witnessing. She testified at the trial that at one point she saw Chauvin reach for his mace and then she began fearing for her safety. And yet this 17-year-old stood there solidly filming. And it's not a jumpy film. It's not like, you know, sometimes we see the films, videos, you know, go from one spot to another spot. It is solid on, steady, constant. It is intentional. It is the hand of a 17-year-old, but the motivation and dedication of somebody much older and wiser. She finishes the video. By that time, George Floyd is dead. She goes home. She posts the video on Facebook. And from there, Twin Cities, America, and the world ignited. In an April 20th, um, 2021, Washington Post article by Margaret Sullivan, Sullivan writes about Darnella having given few speeches since that May day. And this is what Sullivan goes on to, to say. Um, hold on. She is soft-spoken, talking about Darnella, and understated, not trying to draw any particular attention to herself. She may have been troubled by the experience, but remains clear-headed about what she saw and what it meant. On the witness stand late last month, 
She also had this to say about Floyd, who she did not know. Quote, He was suffering. He was in pain. It seemed like he knew it was over for him. He was terrified. Unquote. Those were the words of Darnella Frazier at the trial. On December 8th of last year, PEN America, it's an organization around freedom of speech, um, gave Darnella its Benenson Courage Award. Uh, director Spike Lee presented the award, and the great actor, Meryl Streep, praised Darnella for her courage. And thankfully, given how Darnella was prop- propelled onto the world stage, there has been some help. A GoFundMe um, intended to raise, now get this, intended to raise just $500 for Danella. This was established just right after the video went live. A, a GoFundMe to raise just $500 for Darnella um, has raised <laughs> $674,000 from 24,000 donors. In fact, I went on the GoFundMe site today and um, there was recently somebody who donated $10,000 to Darnella Frazier. In fact, the money has, I mean, don't worry, the money is being responsibly dealt with. It's been placed in a trust at Bremer Bank. By the way, Bremer is one of my clients, just so you know that. Um, and, um, and so there's a trustee overseeing it for Darnella's benefit. But lastly, we need to recognize the enduring rest of her life impact of watching a man literally die in front of Darnella. As Darnella testified at the Floyd trial, here is what she will carry for the rest of her life. Quote, when I look at George Floyd, I look at my dad. I look at my brothers. I look at my cousins, my uncles, because they are all black. I look at how that could have been one of them. I've stayed up nights apologizing to George Floyd for not doing more and not physically interacting, not saving his life. But it's not what I should have done. It's what he, Chauvin, should have done. We all owe such a debt of gratitude to to Darnella Frazier, our young de facto idealist. And while you may forget her name, I can assure you that you and I will never forget what she did at the tender age of 17 years old, Darnella Frazier changed the world. Okay. When we come back um, from our break, um, I'll have the big interview. You're going to enjoy the big interview greatly. And then um, after that, our C block. I hope you're enjoying what you like. Uh, Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. I need Twitter followers. I'd love to have more. Okay, we'll be back in a minute. Thanks. And we're back on AM 950. 
Ellie 2.0 Radio, Ellie Krug here. Okay, so please, Darnella Frazier, as I said, you may not remember her name, but you'll remember what she did for the rest of your lives. So there you go. Okay, now it's time for the big interview. And I am thrilled to have Heidi Langenfeld on the line uh, from Hastings, Minnesota, who's going to talk about something I think that's incredibly important. Heidi, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thanks, Ellie. Hi, Heidi. Welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. Um, I am thrilled to have you here. For our audience, um, let's just get uh, a couple of the basics out of the way. You are a resident of Greater Hastings, uh, Minnesota, right? That's correct. And you are a historian, um, and um, part of your work, you work in City Hall, you work um, in the Pioneer Room in City Hall, but you have taken an interest in some aspects, a particular aspect of Hastings' um, history. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Okay, and you are also one of the founding members of an organization named Building Remembrance for Reconciliation. Do I have that right? You do. Yes. Okay. So Heidi, let's, um, why don't we begin with what building remembrance for reconciliation is all about? And then we'll get into, um, really the one big historical event that I wanted to talk with you about. Okay. Well, um, our organization started in, um, January of 2018. We were discussing, um, it started out at Lakeside Cemetery and we were discussing the black, early black history, um, members of our history that were buried there and um, discover, I mean, I, I shared history about a, a church burning here. And, and so it, it created some interest and we decided that it was something that we wanted to um, share more with the community. We didn't think they knew a lot about it. So in February of 2018, we, uh, we at that time we called ourselves Building Bridges we started with an event that we had with a um, Reader's Theater and Blackout um, <clears throat> Improv from the Twin Cities came, and, and um, we had a nice event. We decided we didn't want to do like a one-time, this is um, our Black History Month thing, and over and done, we finished it because we felt it was important to keep this information, the history out there, and continue to learn about re- the history in our city between the races. Okay. And so and me, that's how we, where we're at. Okay, great. And, and, and so let's go ahead and focus on the one thing that really got my interest, which is in, um, in the late 1800s, uh, you know, there were not many black people in Hastings, but those who were in Hastings wanted a, to build a church, wanted to have a church, Right. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Um, and and yes. part of that is because they had been part of the white Methodist church in town, and they didn't feel welcomed. Do I have that right? Well, you know, um, I, I I'm not quite sure how they how they felt. We know that just from what someone had written um, in a letter to the editor, a memory that she had, where they were part of the Methodist Episcopal Church, and the it was. Just, the Curry family and two of their young children were going to be christened or have a baptism. And they, when they were walking down the aisle, one of the other little children was um, excited and called them, um, well, you know, a racial name. 
And at any rate... The, um, the N-word. Yep, go on. The N-word, yep. exactly. So we, from that, we, we put it together that not only did they feel, I don't know if they felt totally unwelcome, but they didn't have their own space to worship in their own way. And at that point, there was a um, African Methodist Episcopal Church in West St. Paul, and the uh, pastor of that was Reverend um, J.C. Anderson. And he was commissioned to start a small church in Hastings, and um, anyhow, they got together with Reverend Anderson and formed this congregation and started meeting in each other's homes, eventually grew out of that their spaces and rented some um, rooms above a grocery store downtown. And then the letter that the, um, they were able to rent, the German Baptist Church was up for grabs. And so they decided to appeal to the community for funds to help them with the rent of that, to buy that church. And that is when Reverend Anderson wrote a book. Uh, I'm sorry a letter to the editor requesting help for that. And I think, you know, we can learn from history just by listening or reading what's said and paying attention. He said that their congregation had been meeting in homes and then this rented space, but they felt it was important for them to worship God in their own way without fear and um, mockery. And so... It, it, it makes you realize that they were not feeling comfortable right. in these situations uh, to be able to worship their own way. And so that was a big motivation for them to be able to have their own church. And the community came through because they did eventually buy that church for $500, and it opened in October of 1892. Okay, and so... Um and, and the church was located at the corner of 5th uh, and, Sel- and Sibley Streets in downtown Hastings. Is that right? That's right. Okay. And so they, they opened the church in October of 1892. It's a black church. At that time, the community mm-hmm. had, what, maybe 40 um, black people? Congregations. Yeah, yeah, I would say. Okay. Because I'm sure there, were, there was a nice population outside um, of Hastings, too, that came to that, some of the people. Okay. And everything, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, so the church begins, and it, and it seems to prosper, and, and, and you know, finally, um, non-white people, black people in Hastings have a place to worship. And that all worked until um, November of 1907. So we go forward by about 15 years, and then what happened? Mm-hmm. Well, then um, it was right around Halloween, and the church, someone got into the church through the, by raising the sash of the window, cutting the screen and then getting the sash open, and climbing into the church and then dumping kerosene on the pews and the wall and the floor and setting it on fire. And though the church was not burnt to the ground, some... Some things have been written that it was burned to the ground. It was not. It was destroyed. The windows were broken from the heat of the fire. The walls and the ceiling were blackened. Many of the pews had been burnt. They could not afford to fix it back up so that they could ever have it again. So they lost 
their place to worship without shame or fear. And you can just, you know, if you stop and think about what that means to have your own place and to lose it, but not just because something happened through nature, but that it was destroyed by someone on purpose. That feels a lot different to me. It sure does. And, all right, and we're going to have to take a break here, Heidi, but when we come back, I want to talk about what the community, how the, how the community continued to veer off, kind of off the rails after that, okay? Um, and and uh, learn more about uh, something, you know, like the KKK uh, coming to uh, Hastings. All right? So we'll do that when we take our, after we take our break, okay? Okay. All right. All right. Uh, listeners, we've been listening to Heidi uh, Langenfeld, historian out of Hastings, talking about a black church that had been built there and then burned out of there. Um, if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Um, email me at elliejkrug at gmail. I love hearing from my listeners. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Um, uh, before we took our break, we had started speaking with Heidi Langenfeld, who is a historian in Hastings. She works in, uh, she volunteers in the Pioneer Room at City Hall about Hastings history. And, and uh, Heidi was talking about, we had talked about a black church having been established in Hastings in 1892, operated for 15 years until being burned down, uh, well, being damaged heavily by fire in November of 1907. And so, Heidi, we take us back to that time. We can imagine, right, that this congregation, they worked hard to create their own, you know, their own mm-hmm. sense of identity in Hastings, and then mm-hmm. somebody comes in and tries to burn them out of the town, which essentially, even though it didn't burn the building to the ground, it accomplished, it looks like, what it was intended to do, right? They lost their church. Yes. They lost their church. They lost their place that was just for themselves. And and, and, and have you been able to uncover in maybe letters to the editor? Because you've been going back through the Hastings Gazette to see, you know, what the you know, the temperature was in terms of the community. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to recover how the black community was reacting? I mean, were people writing letters to the editor? Were any no. white, were there any white people that were writing letters saying that this is horrible no. that this happened? Or was it just total? No, we don't have, no, nothing. We don't have anything. And we've looked for, um, you know, there's crimes and there's, there's um, um, files that we have in the pioneer room and, we we went through the papers because we actually had the bound copies of those old papers from 1907. There was nothing in the paper. The, once they reported, both the Hastings um, Gazette and the Hastings Democrat reported the fire. They reported it in you know the same same details, but never another word was printed about it, and nothing was like the editor of the papers at that time would often comment on things like that. 
nothing. Nothing. And so nothing. And it's just a void. And there was not even an and investigation, as far as we can tell. The police didn't. As far as we can tell, um, nothing was ever um, printed. You know, like they would often print, "Oh, somebody, a car got stolen," and then they would talk about um, getting clues for that and finding right. the car eventually. Right. That type of thing. Nothing with this crime. Okay. It's, it's just yeah. Okay, so, so. We can theorize, at least, that the black community was dejected by this. And, you know, this would be, this is, I mean, church is very important to a lot of people. And so they've lost mm-hmm. a part of their identity. But bring us forward in Hastings into the mid-1920s. So the church is, okay. you know, the church is destroyed, essentially, in 1907. By mm-hmm. 1925, what is going on in Hastings? As is going well, on most, in the country. Yes. Well, most of the young, um, the young members of the families that belong to this church had by this time moved up to, to Minneapolis, and the the founders of the church, the Curry, the Wallace and Curry families, the um, elders were still living in Hastings, um, from the Curry family, Mister and Missus Curry. They had gone back to the Methodist Episcopal Church. They were members of that church, and the KKK after the um, sec- after the First World War got a second wind. They had another. Um, they added, you know, hatred towards the Catholics and new immigrants to their um, disagree, you know, disapproval of blacks. And it just happened <laughs> that the the pat the um, champ- chaplain of the Hastings chapter of the KKK, which was pretty active, was also the pastor of the Methodist Episcopal Church, where the Currys were going, attending oh was my, their church. Oh my goodness. And so, so it just, it, 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 it sort of baffles the mind to, to, to think about putting ourselves in the place of James and Ella Phoebe Curry, going to this church and knowing that their pastor and how many others of the congregants that they were worshiping with were also members of the KKK. It had to be very uncomfortable. They had, they had rallies in town, the KKK did, and they um, actually, the mayor at the time, um, Mayor Stephen, had forbidden, not allowed them to burn the big cross at their rally on the very south end of town down by the King Midas Mill. And so they were. There was a lot of um, articles in the. I mean, letters to the editor and a kick. You know, people being all upset that were KKK members that the mayor had taken that stance and forbidden them to burn that cross. So there was a lot of support and a lot of things in the paper about about that. Well, issue. And, and let me interrupt you. I mean, but the mayor. Thank. God mm-hmm. for him being mm-hmm. so strident in, in opposing the KKK, but the KKK comes mm-hmm. to Hastings. They have 200 members meeting in town, right? In mm-hmm. 1925, right. the police, yes. the police are providing, you know, uh, traffic control for them. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and then, I mean, they, all right, they didn't burn the cross in town, but they went to a farm not far from town and burned the cross and mm-hmm. 
had you know hundreds right. of people there, and then the finished K- their rally there. Yeah, and then the KKK uh, came back. Um, in a you know subsequent occasion, they had twelve hundred Klansmen in Hastings, um, mm-hmm. and and eight like eight hundred cars parked. You know for this Klan rally, right? Yeah, right outside of town. Right, it was on the west side of right side the west side of Hastings. But yes. everybody, but everybody knows what's going on in Hastings. I mean, it is mind-boggling mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that this was go would, going on, and so um, from and, and I've got to watch my time here, Heidi. From an historian standpoint, mm-hmm. what kind of foundations is this set in the community when this goes well, on? For me, it um, you have to remember this. This group also felt that they were they they were um, doing God's work. <laughs> it was it was like a very Christian. Um, I'm putting quotes up here. Um, organization, and yet they their hatred of of um, you know other like Catholics, and then any new immigrants was so strident and um, open, and especially their disdain for blacks who were not equal to, to whites. And so it, it, sort of, it sort of sounds a little bit like um, that white supremacy, that whites are, are superior and chosen by God. That's sort of a feeling right. that I get from that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, so- and that anyone else is not equal to that. So I yeah up to their measurements. Heidi, can I just make an observation? Yes. If I didn't know that you were speaking about the 1920s and then going forward, mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. have thought what you just <laughs> described is happening in America right now. I I feel the same way. It sounds very similar, doesn't it? It sounds horrible, doesn't it? Mhm. Yes. And so so and 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 now in Hastings, okay, because, I, you know, actually, I think Hastings, it's a beautiful town on the river. Um, uh-huh. Wonderful people there. I've done um, a lot of work for um, Dakota County um, as a trainer, and I have great respect for the county government and folks. And I, I really like the people in Hastings, but Hastings has a problem about um, being welcoming to all people. Am I wrong about that? Mm-hmm. Well, we hear that. You know, it's not. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And and so I, I that gets me back to the question of what kind of foundation gets laid when a town had you know those kinds of rallies, you know, and uh-huh. and, and and those kinds of attitudes. Um, and and how do we break that? I mean, obviously, as a historian, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a ledge here and, and and assume that as a historian, one of the way we break that is we start at least reminding people of what the history was, right? That's right. That's that's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you in the time that I've got left, Heidi, why why are you doing mm-hmm. this work? What makes you what makes you want to do this? What? You know, I mean, I, I bet you've got plenty of time to do other things. Why is it this that you're in an idealistic fashion concentrating on this? I'm not even sure. I'm I'm not sure what, what it is that drives me. Um, it feels to me like 
like the like there's such two sides to the story, and it started way back in like in 1875, 1874, when there was a letter to the editor by um, some of the main people in Hastings that were council members and that type of thing. And they had had this group of, um, they were called the um, North Carolinians, and they came to town. And it was um, a group that did plantation songs, and they were real former slaves. And the people who um, attended this concert, the man wrote a letter to the to the editor talking about this wonderful event, and that these gentle souls that sang sang the, the plantation songs would no longer be around because they were, um, you know, because the system had changed. And they have you can read in this a nostalgia for the old South that they see as romantic. Hmm. And and these people as um, a, a symbol of that, and it's almost like a regret on their part that it's over, and yeah. that's you know that's pretty close to the end of the Civil War, and right. in the meantime we have black new young I mean black people newly freed coming to Hastings and writing petitions for their right to vote. You have this contrast between how the freed, the newly freed blacks and some that have been freed before came together to, to work on their rights and the people that are romanticizing the past when they were slaves. And there's like these two visions, and I feel like that's still the case. I feel like in Hastings, which became all white, the paper, the newspaper um, article that talked about... Um, Mr. Williams dying says, you know, the last black man died. In 19, uh, in 1954, yes. 1954, yep. 1954, yeah. And so I feel like that, that sort of mentality has just continued here because we haven't had an opportunity to learn about the beauty of other cultures. Mm. We've been isolated here in our town. We've been sort of... Um, are, we all know that, that certain the movies and things like that have shown pictures that aren't um, they're all they're skewed, and right. so I think that sort of is what what we're dealing with. Yeah. Well, so Heidi, um, unfortunately, we're 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 just about out of time, but I will tell uh-huh. you this: I have spoken in Hastings to the general population. I've gone, you know, mm-hmm. I'm transgender, and there's some some problems uh, uh, with the community acceptance of transgender people. But I'll tell you, when I went and spoke there, and I spoke to people who were not necessarily tolerant of transgender people, what I found was people that were willing to be welcoming if you just mm-hmm. talked to them and gave them a chance. And so what mm-hmm. we need to do, you and me, Heidi... Okay, and uh, I'm just going to put it out here. Mm -hmm. If your Building Remembrance for Reconciliation Commission or group wants to put on an event, I'd be happy to come and speak. I'll do it pro bono for you, okay? Um, Okay. But but listen, this is important work that you and your group are doing, okay? And I want to just let you know I am thankful for that work, okay? Okay. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Thank you for that. Okay. Well, thanks for being on LE 2.0 Radio. Um, 
And mm-hmm. um, Heidi, um, uh, just uh, keep up the good work, and um, I'll be staying in touch with you, okay? Okay, thank you, Ali. All right, so listeners, we've been listening. We've been speaking to Heidi Langenfeld, who is a historian in Hastings, about the history of Hastings so long ago. But when you compare it to America's history right now, not so long ago at all. So, all right, when we come back from the break, we'll do my C block, and um, hopefully you're enjoying all of this. Um, uh, Ellie Krug on AM 950 will be back in a minute. Thanks. And we're back, Ellie 2.0 Radio. So uh, go forward, you know, uh, check in about um, what they're doing in Hastings uh, because it is a motivated, there are people in that community, it's a great town. There are people in that community that are working to make it an even better town so that it's welcoming for everyone. And I applaud them, I really do. Okay, I started this show by talking uh, about a 17-year-old and the impact that Darnella Frazier had on the world continue to have on the world. Now, in my C block, I want to talk more about young humans, okay? Um, This week, I had the great um, honor of speaking to some Chaska High School students. Um, It was online, of course. Um, They were students uh, who were part of the Gay Straight Alliance, uh, the GSA at at Chaska, so mainly LGBTQ-identifying students. Um, you may recall I start. I told you a little bit about this story. I had put a shout out on Nextdoor, uh, the app um, for various neighborhoods, asking if anybody had any contacts with any local GSAs, and somebody gave me the name of 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 somebody who then gave me the name of the uh, the art teacher at Chaska High School. I don't have permission to use her name. We're going to call her Carrie. Um, uh, who uh, I, I emailed and she took a random I re, re, random email into her inbox. I said, hey, this is me. I'd like to talk to your students. And she took a chance on me. And um, uh, on Wednesday of this week, I spoke to the students and a couple of adults that were on it, some educators. And I talked about the power of human authenticity and about having compassion for others and for them, themselves. And about, most importantly, I talked with them about the fact that they matter. You know, kids don't hear that very often. And particularly if you are an LGBTQ-identifying kid, you don't hear that very often at all. But, but they do matter. You know, and, and I did. I shared with them about Darnella, you know, and about how she, you know, she had made a huge difference in the world. And I told them that they may all turn out to be Darnellas. They could all, in some way or another, make a difference in the world. You know, and, and as I talked with them, we kept coming back to the theme about kids who are other and how they get treated and shaped. You know, when you are bullied, whether it's in elementary school or middle school or high school or maybe even in college, that bullying sticks with you. It does. And 
For some people, the bullying sticks for their entire life. I mean, I once dated a man in his 50s at that time, and and he, he talked to me about how him being bullied in middle school and high school, how that had just devastated him and continued to be a problem for him, the, the effects that it had on him, um, even up till when he and I were dating. It is important that we let our young humans know that we care about them. It is important that we let them know that we see them. And when I say see, not, I'm not like talking with our eyes only. I'm talking about that we believe that they have the right to be who they are. It's about providing dignity. It's about providing a human with space. It's about providing respect. And so... Wonderful conversation with these students. Great questions from them. Um, they were so uh, welcoming, um, and and the adults too. I you know we I had a couple of great comments from a couple of of the adults that were in the room. So you, I've said this to you before. You know where if you're a regular listener on the show, you know where I'm going. So if you've got a young adult in your life, particularly one that's LGBTQ identifying, but even uh, not even that, just a young adult in your life, will you do me a favor? before the day is out, will you tell them, hopefully in person, but if not in text, or even better, in a note, written note, will you tell them that you love them? And will you let them know that they matter to you? Will you do that, please? Because they need to hear that. Okay, well, that is the end of the show. I want to do a big shout out to my producer, Patrick, who's had to do a lot of math again on this show because of the way Ellie Krug goes over her time limits. And to you, my listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope that you've enjoyed this show. I continue to try and bring you different kinds of content. If you like the show, let other people know about the show because we'd love to get our numbers up. That would be great. Again, I'm, you can uh, email me if you like the show, lejkrug at gmail.com. When we come back next week, who knows what I'm going to have, but please come back. Talk more about idealists, more about making the world a better place. And in the meantime, you go out and do your small part to do that as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.